it's a competition clinching shot. The LET Golf Podcast, the official podcast of the Ladies' European Tour. Hello and welcome to another episode of the LET Golf Podcast, the exclusive podcast of the Ladies' European Tour, where each week we go behind the scenes to chat to the stars of the show. I'm George Cooper, back after another exciting week of action, and joining me as always to wrap it all up is media official Nicola Kenton. Nicola, how are you? I'm very good, George. Back in the UK after a few weeks away, but very good over here. Yeah, it's about time, I'd say. Um, so, like I said, we had a very exciting week again on tour. Aramco Team Series Singapore is in the history books. Plenty of storylines, an insane winner. What went down, Nicola? As you say, the first Aramco Team Series event of the year. We have five throughout the year. So the first one took place in Singapore at Laguna National. And it was the return of both competitions, so the team competition and the individual competition. So it was Team Wolf who ended up winning the two-day team competition. The team was made up of Austria's Christine Wolf, South Africa's Cassandra Alexander, England's Eleanor Givens, and their amateur Katsoko. And yeah, they just basically put in an absolutely storming performance. <laughs> uh, Ellie Givens is kind of on the comeback road this year, having been off with a medical last year, and she's really hit the ground running, um, has been improving week on week. And last week, she said it was some of the best golf she's absolutely played during her comeback so far. Um, she's really happy with where her game is. And she's really good friends with Christine. So that helped in terms of the team vibe, um, having two such good friends on the team. And Cassandra Alexander, Cass, she, she's been successful in that team event before, winning in Jeddah twice. First part of Team Pedersen in 2020, the inaugural edition. And then also as part of Team Garcia, last year in november so she's got form in that event and it was cass who sealed the deal with her birdie putt on 18 to get the team get that trophy on friday afternoon and then on to saturday so heading into the final day we had three players at the top of the leaderboard with south africa's nicole garcia france's pauline Roussan, and american danielle kang and it was the young French woman who came out top. Pauline came out firing on Saturday. It was one of those days where you see a golfer has a round of golf and they're just absolutely in the zone. That, that is what happened. A flawless day, 64, just absolutely everything went right for her. Nothing went wrong in any shape or form. And yeah, came out with her second LET title. First one uh, was 18 months ago after she just turned pro. So second one and she's ready to kick on now on the LPGA for the rest of the season, kind of come back and forth between the two tours. Yeah, she sure did. And I think what was most impressive about the victory was sort of who she saw off in order to get it. I mean, you mentioned shooting 64 in the final round, but it's not easy when you've got the world number one, Lydia Ko, going birdie, birdie, birdie to start the day and pile on all that pressure, like to to get the victory in the way that she did when she, when she had her and Danielle Kang breathing down her neck was just extraordinary, really. As you say, yeah, Lydia was a few shots back going into the start of the day, but you can never rule her out, as you say, world number one, someone who won on the LET just a few weeks ago. And yeah, started well, birdie, birdie, birdie on the first three holes and everyone suddenly went, oh, oh, she's coming. Um, she ended up with a 66, which is actually her aim for the day to try and put herself into contention. As you said, she ended up finishing in third place uh, with Daniel Kang just ahead. Um, one stroke better and then as you say Pauline just the fact it was her day 
<laughs> nothing went wrong um and yeah she had her boyfriend bruce on the bag and her mum was also in the crowd and her mum was on the bag for her first victory in sweden a couple of years ago um so it's just she was very calm relaxed and had great energy last week yeah, I love that. I think that quote afterwards sort of summed it up, didn't it? Where they said, how did you stay so calm out there? You had Lydia Ko, Daniel Kang, Breva Daniel Neck, and she said, well, I was just chatting about TV shows, you know, what What am I going to watch after this round? And it, it seemed to keep her nice and stable. So if anyone out there is listening, how do you stay calm on a golf course? Just chat about Netflix or whatever. <laughs> it seemed to work for Pauline. So yeah, really, really good win. Yeah, it was a great performance again from many of the LET core. I mean, we had Clara Davidson spill cover again in the top 10. Nicole Brock Estruck was up there again. And Chiara Noy was all up there again. I mean, they're like three of the most consistent performance, performers we've had all season, aren't they, really? Yeah, as you say, Clara and Nicole have definitely been up there in the past few weeks yeah. uh, in South Africa and then going on to Singapore. Um, and in the race across the Soul, they sit 11th and 12th at the minute, kind of meriting their uh, consistent start to the season. But as you say, it was also L.E.T. core up there. Lynn Grant obviously finishing the top 10, as did fellow Swede Ellen Ardvitten, who had a final round of 67. Um, and they were actually both in Team Grant <laughs> during the week. So they had a very good time. Um, Michelle Thompson also put in a 67 on the final day, as did rookie Trishat Chimglab. So there were lots of great scores happening. And um, yeah, Kiara Noya just outside the top 10 last week, but it was her birthday during the week. She's now 17, <laughs> winner, winner on the L.E.T. But yeah, she's also had another consistent start to the season, um, sits ninth in the race to Costa del Sol. So as you say, we've kind of seen who's really got their game together for the start of the season. And it'll be interesting to see how when we come back for the longer stretch, European stretch in the summer, who's kind of tapped into their game a bit more. Right. I think that moves us nicely onto our guest for this week. So our guest this week represents the L.E.T. through and through. A former player, Spanish-born Alexandra Armas competed on tour between 2001 and 2005 when she also served as a player director. With a background in economics, Armas was chosen by the board to become the tour's executive director before she vacated the position in 2012. Having left to set up her own sports marketing agency, Alex then returned as CEO in 2020, where she has since guided the tour through the pandemic before playing a pivotal role in growing the L.E.T. schedule. Alex has seen it all when it comes to the L.E.T., so, after announcing a record-breaking schedule in 2023, we couldn't wait to chat to her and, of course, test her knowledge on all things L.E.T. So, without further ado, our guest this week on the L.E.T. Golf Podcast is none other than the boss, our CEO, Alexandra Armas. Enjoy. Alex, thanks for joining us on the L.E.T. Golf Podcast. Hello, hello, George. How are we doing? <laughs> hello. Yeah, I'm good. How are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. Um... I feel like I should be out in South Africa rather than in snowy England, but uh, yeah, no, good, all good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, tell me about it. I had uh, Nicola giving me weather updates all of yesterday and I was sat here in the snow, <laughs> golf course closed. It's like, come on, really, guys? I know, um, it's March, but, yeah. but that should be the final, final stretch <laughs> of it. Mm -hmm. That's it, yeah. But no, thanks for coming on. What have you sort of uh, made of the season so far? It's been great. It's been a really interesting start. Um, you obviously kind of kicking off in, in Kenya and, um, you know, our schedule has a bit of a globe trotting feel at the beginning of the year. Um, but I guess, you know, as we were talking a little bit of, uh, a little while ago about the weather, we have to go to places where it's warmer. So, um, yes, yeah, some you know, very picturesque 
destinations that we've had uh kenya um and then morocco and you know saudi arabia and now in down in south africa so no i think it's been good and really good really good golf and really good results so um i think we're we're looking good for the year yeah definitely and who's sort of i know you've obviously got a dt ashok leading the race to costa so at the moment but who sort who else has sort of impressed you so far um I mean, I think, you know, Aditi's story is just, it's just brilliant. And it's kind of one of those that just shows, you know, that kind of performance and, and qualifying yourself, winning a tournament and then qualifying for um, for the Aramco Saudi Ladies International. Um, I think that was just a, a brilliant start to, to the season. I loved again that uh, Maya and Lynn um, battled it out for, for Morocco. Um, I think, you know, obviously, as you were mentioning the scores this week, uh, Chiara as a as a new player on tour and her results have been uh, really strong and some other rookies that are coming on. So I think we have a really good, strong class of players uh, for, for this rookie year. Yeah, I think I heard you mention before that you think this is, well, I guess statistically it is as well, but you said it's the strongest, you know, rookies that we have. And Q score was the, the strongest uh, Q score that we had as well, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, the strength of um, of our schedule has um, put the LET on a lot of players' objectives now. Uh, we had a lot of entries for for Q School. We also run a, um, a regional qualifier in Asia, uh, which was well attended for the, for the first time that we did that for a number of years. Um, and we had, I think it was about 30, 40 players that um, didn't manage to get in. Um, so you know it's it's kind of a lot of interest but also the players that went um are very very strong i mean that's a tough week and luckily i didn't have to <laughs> i didn't have to go and then compete there but from the players that that did you know the word back is that um you know some very strong players i think we'll we'll be seeing again uh quite a few rookies winning on season mm -hmm. yeah definitely it's exciting for sure and i think i mean we'll, we'll go into more detail on it but the Aramco Saudi Ladies International a couple of weeks ago. And I think it sort of showed how far the LETs come in that you had these big name LPGA players obviously coming over to play and, you know, our girls hold their, held their own. And even, you know, I think I heard Lexi Thompson in the, the press conference saying, you know, wow, this is one of the strongest fields we're actually playing in, yet it's still an LET event. So I think that's testament to the tour and sort of how, how far it's come. Yeah, but I think it's, you know, the, the players um, on LET have definitely, um, you know, been very strong for a number of years, but also it helps having a regular schedule. I think that's key for, for players to be able to perform, to gain some momentum. Um, so the fact that we can kind of play more regularly definitely helps the performance. Um, you know, the prize funds and obviously the, the Aramco Saudi Ladies International with, with $5 million prize fund, uh, is is a significant event in in the women's game and attracted some of the top players in in the world and it's and it's great for for let players um to play against the top ranked players in the world and and you know kind of see see where they, where they're at with the game and um and see that they're they're also very capable yeah for sure i mean you've touched on the schedule there a few times um you know how it, a how important is it to have so many events and have have our players playing consistency and, and B, how important is it to, to stage events all over the world? Oh, woof, that's, there's a lot of answers to, to, the, to those two <laughs> questions, but yeah, I mean, it's important for many reasons to have a strong schedule. And that was a focus that we had um, when we kicked off in 2020 um, with the new relationship with the LPJ was to 
um, to populate the schedule. And the, the reason not only from a player's perspective that it's important is their job and they have to uh, have opportunities to to earn money. Um, but the more you play, you can also become more competitive. But also it allows us to be more visible on a more regular basis through our television telecast, but also through through other media outlets and um, and build our fan base. So from from many, many reasons, it's uh, it's important and a, a key aspect of, of our business. Um, and I guess to your second question on how important is it for us to to go around the uh, around the world and play tournaments. Um, I mean, I think it's again is playing opportunities, uh, but also uh, we we enjoy co-sanctioning and collaborating with a number of tours um, around the world, and uh, we work with federations too. And um, you know, we feel that there is a a significant uh, purpose to what we do to work on those kind of grassroots pathways and give players from different countries uh, the opportunity to experience uh, golf at an elite level um, and also define kind of pathways for them to to get to the top of the game. I mean, it's not easy players kind of growing up in, in various countries to kind of realize how they can get to the top of the game. Um, and it's not always easy. So I think it's part of our responsibility that any young talented player willing to work hard enough can um, can play their way to to the top of the game and i think that's a, a real relevant point of uh, of also going to many new territories yeah for sure so obviously this year we got 31 events including the Saham cup up for 35 million euros up for grabs which is just amazing uh what sort of events are you most excited about um I mean, I don't know. I mean, all events are exciting, to be honest, because every all every them, event, yeah, <laughs> every event has its has its a unique story, and there's always something that pans out. I mean, that's the that's the the beauty of of comp competitive sports. Um, so you know, I, I think they're 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 all, um, you know, you know, quite special in their own way. I mean, you know, Solheim Cup that only happens in Europe once every four years. Uh, that is that is definitely the pinnacle of of the women's game, and um, you know playing it in Spain for the first time uh, is is I mean also from a personal perspective being Spanish uh, really particularly looking forward to that week. Yeah, definitely. So you've touched on the LET, Alex, but now we've got to come to you. It's the reason you're on this podcast. Oh really? Okay. It is, yeah, it is. <laughs> so you're our CEO, and you've you've been with us now as CEO since 2020. But let's sort of take it back to the beginning, if you don't mind, because obviously I would I would describe you as LET LET through to its core. You're a player. You're on the player advisory board. You became CEO. There's it's a great story. So let's let's go back to the beginning um, for everyone. So sort of how did you get into golf, and and what are your golfing memories uh, as a kid? Oh wow, you're gonna age me now. But uh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no. So how did I get? I mean, I come from a um, quite a sporting family. Uh, I grew up doing a lot of sports. I grew up in in the Canary Islands. Uh, that's where I'm from, and obviously, you know, it has nice weather, and we do a lot of outdoor activities. So always playing sports. Um, probably played more more tennis as I was younger, and then golf wasn't particularly popular in the '80s when I started playing. But um, there was kind of a shift from people that were playing tennis into into golf. Um, and I guess, I mean, my mom took up the game and me and my brother were still young, so we had to tag along. 
and started hitting hitting balls and uh, enjoyed it and kind of then became my primary primary sport. Uh, I spent all my weekends there with my friends and just knocking about and yeah, causing havoc probably. Um, but it was it was a great environment to to grow up. Um, from there, I started qualifying for various teams from the club team to the national team. So I played for Spain for for I guess from the age of about thirteen um, till till I left for for college. Um, went for college on a golf scholarship and got an economics degree in the US. Um, then I stopped playing. Funny enough, I had no intention after that to play golf again. Um, and uh, went to, came to London to study a master's degree. Um, and then after that, I uh, yeah, I always tell the story that I kind of started commuting on the underground in London, and um, I wasn't quite ready for that. <laughs> so I'm like, well, you know, I'll give professional golf a chance. I didn't hold much hope in getting my card. I said, well, if I get my card, great. If not, then I'll have to kind of yeah, um, deal with uh, with the underground in rush hour. Uh, luckily, I did get my card and just started kind of then playing professional, which I'm glad I did. It was a great experience, uh, even though it wasn't something that I had planned. Um, I'm glad I did. And it's something that definitely I, I hold very fond memories of that period. Um, and then, yes, yeah, part of being on tour, I was elected onto the board of directors. And then from the board of directors, as we're going through a restructure at uh, one stage, I was asked whether I'd consider I'd consider becoming um, more permanent on the business side uh, and full-time as, as executive director, which, uh, you know, with my background of having been involved in women's golf all my life uh, as a player, but also uh, educated in, in business, um, I thought that was a great opportunity and opportunities like that don't come along very often. So I, I definitely went for it. So is that something that just, it sounds to me like that role just sort of, you know, fell into your lap? in a way, you know, you had your business background, um, but you were obviously still playing, you know, how does that actually come about? Is it someone come up to you and say, hey, look, we want to we want to promote you or like, how, how does that even happen? Like to me, the professional yeah. golfer, like if you would say that now, someone on tour and then suddenly they're well, now they're the CEO, I just think it's incredible. But, you know, how does that how does that come about? Like, I mean, probably two things. Yeah, I was very lucky um, and I was in the right place at the right time. Um, as you say, it's not there's not many opportunities. Um, you know, a lot of people would love to work in sports and uh, it's mm. just very limited opportunities. Um, and I think, you know, I was approached by the board to become a player director originally um, based on my background uh, with my studies. Um, and then when I was on the board, I was quite uh, proactive and it was the board of directors that then uh, decided whether that I'd be a suitable candidate, I guess, right. for, for the CEO role. Um, and that's kind of how it happened in my in my case. So it definitely wasn't yeah. part of my ambitions at any stage. I never <laughs> thought when I when I started um, I mean, coming, as I say, especially maybe in the UK, it's, it's more uh, obvious um, that it's it's a job opportunity. But coming up from, you know, the Canary Islands and in Spain, you never, you never envisioned um, working in sports as a as a possible career. So, um, yeah, it definitely wasn't something that I was thriving for. It, uh, yeah, it probably found me more than me finding it. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. And actually, I mean, we're speaking today on International Women's Day, but so how was it for you? You know, taking on a senior position, a business position in a 
obviously sport is you know especially mid 2000s it's just a male dominated sport so you know how did you adapt to that and sort of what were the challenges you faced upon taking the role um i mean i think you know it is male dominated but i i when i took on the role um first time and the second time um it, it's not about you know kind of that changing the industry in any way is more about what the job is about and what I need to do. Uh, so I don't kind of think about it as, is it, you know, a male CEO or a female CEO? Um, but, you know, it, it is often that, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, there is in meetings or whatever, maybe this only female or, you know, is mm. kind of a much lesser number of females than the males in industry, in the industry environment. Um, so, but I mean, I, I don't think particularly it's been, it's been challenging, um, but I think hopefully having more kind of a, a diverse input into, into the industry will, will help the industry also kind of grow and, and widen its, its, um, its, its potential. Yeah, for sure. So I guess you're in a, as good a position as anyone to see this, say this, but you you've seen the, the attitudes change throughout your time or, or how much have you seen the attitudes change throughout your time i guess towards women in sport and towards women's golf as well i guess it's definitely changed um i think you know th there has been a lot of talk about um you know female empowerment over the years now and mm. um and female athletes getting recognized for for their talents uh for for over a long time i guess there's kind of this general societal opinion potentially that um you know women's sports are just a lesser equivalent of the men's sports but in reality they're they're uh a strong um and you know as interesting um in their own right so that kind of comparison just doesn't really um make uh, you know make any sense and and thankfully through time that has become a lot more acceptable and we see a lot more women's sports now on mainstream television and we have a lot more role models that are female athletes um, and household names that we recognize in various sports and um, and that is hugely important for for the whole of women's sports um, and that impacts similarly in in women's golf yeah definitely and what about the actual let itself so you come on to tour in 2001 as a player take on the business role in 2005 here we are in 2023 we've got a record-breaking schedule more events more money it's great you know what was the state of the tour when you took over and, and how far have you seen that change um back in 2005 or when i yeah. in 2000 and... yeah well both 2001 and yeah. 2005 like <laughs> for me i've just come in this year and you know it's things are moving upwards but i imagine it wasn't perhaps the case back then um yeah i mean we had a a, a quite a strong stretch. I mean, when I joined in 2005, I mean, when I was playing, we didn't have many tournaments. And then uh, part of the reason why I joined the board um, was because of the limited number of opportunities. And, you know, we made some good progress back then. And I think we went from maybe 15 tournaments up to about 28 tournaments, I think, in 2007, something like that. Um, uh, then we had obviously the financial crisis in 2008. Uh, so there, there, there's always something in, in a cycle. If you're, if you're around long enough, there's always some sort of crisis. <laughs> um, but, you know, we managed to kind of weather those. And uh, we, you know, we had a, um, the tour was in a good and sustain, uh, sustainable position. Um, it had good finances. Um, so we made good progress. But I think 
what I find um, probably that has changed the most is is the interest in the in from kind of the corporate world uh, in in women's sports and highlighting highlighting female athletes, uh, but also seeing the value of investing in women's sports. Um, yeah, I think that's um, that's probably a a key difference. Back then, most of uh, or a lot of the events were. Um, government or tourism focused uh, which you know as golf it, it is a great product for tourism destinations and that was driving a lot of our schedule but I, I think now we see we still have the opportunity around um, tourism and destinations and showcasing the beautiful locations that we that we play at um, but we also kind of hear a lot more about companies saying you know or, or maybe they have even internal checks kind of say well did you realize that we spend X on male sports and, you know, not quite as much on female? Um, so, yeah, I think that there is, um, you know, a, a movement uh, towards giving more recognition to to the female, to the female aspect of, of the game. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess, well, moving forward, so you leave in 2012. Um, yes. Go to the management side of things. So there's a lot management. of years you have to cover. Yeah, I know it's <laughs> it's a timeline right here. Yeah. It's good, and, and you come back as CEO in January 2020. Uh, how does this come about, and and what was it like those eight years off? Yeah, so when I um left in 2012, I mean I thought that was that was it. That was it really. Yeah. That was my time at LET. I'd achieved everything that um that I felt um was necessary at the time, and it was time for me to to move on. Um, so yeah, I went on to, you know, set up a consultant, a consulting company and then worked on numerous projects, not directly in, in golf, mostly all related to sports. One was a tech startup. Um, another was helping athletes transition out of professional sports into the business environment. Um, so, you know, various, various things like that, that were really interesting and very different to what I had been doing. Um, and then as, as part of kind of my, I guess my history with the tour, but also my role in and um, in consulting, that I was approached by you know the LET at that time towards the end of October, two thousand and nineteen, uh, when you know the conversation around uh, the opportunity with the LPJ was happening, and I was asked whether I would, I would um, temporarily in any way in any case um, help uh, in kind of getting that uh, getting that structured and. Um, and then, you know, the opportunity came up whether I would consider uh, taking on the role again. And I was, uh, yeah, I was interested because uh, I think, you know, the opportunity with, with the LPGA and um, unifying women's golf has always been something that I think is the right way to go with with the sport. And um, and that was kind of, you know, unique and different to what uh, what I had done previously in the role. So I I kind of yeah accepted the the challenge, which turned out to be more of a challenge than I thought when COVID hit, but um yeah, yeah but we've managed to weather that crisis too. Yeah, and how how proud are you of uh you know keeping the tour afloat during that period, and and what were the challenges you faced? I mean, it seems obvious, obviously, but you know just just talk to me what that was like. Yeah, I mean it was it was hard because I mean we we kind of you know launched that schedule in twenty twenty um which already was a great improvement on 2019 we'd gone back to federations and and managed to get them on board to put on 
you know, a couple of new national opens in various countries. And um, and we were really, really excited with, with the progress that we'd made in such a short space of time. And then uh, the world stopped. And I guess through through COVID, you know, the hardest part was you knowing that if we don't have tournaments, players don't have a job. Um, and But there was kind of no end to how we were going to get playing again. I have to say one of the the best aspects of, of COVID was, you know, the, the, the tours, all tours uh, coming together and all sports coming together on figuring out how we start competing again. And luckily golf being an outdoor sport was one of the first that managed to to get going again. Uh, but it wouldn't have been possible for the LET if we hadn't uh, had the opportunity to tap into the know-how and the resources from the LPGA and the DP World Tour and the RNA and everybody was was hugely supportive of, of getting the 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 professional game going again. Um, so that was the kind of the be first and biggest challenge. I think it then went on for a lot longer than than we expected. Once we got playing, we thought, okay, now we have a system in place. Uh, it'll eventually pass, but you know, through the rest of twenty twenty with with testing and border mm. restrictions and travel restrictions and you know hardly any travel and airplanes grounded and all of that kind of aspect of it was really hard and that went very much of that went into 2021 most of 2021 we still played with with having to test and and getting all the you know all the entry forms and you know exemptions that were needed at many countries and it was a whole new layer of work that the team had to do um, as a kind of workload, but also there's uh, extensive costs that went with that. But, you know, we we, we got playing and um, and we, yeah, kind of came out the other end stronger, I feel. Yeah, totally agree. And I guess what's, you know, we've, we've got this record-breaking uh, prize money schedule this year. How do you then go on to better that? And what's next for the LET? I mean, the objectives are always the same. Um, you know, we we want to kind of, I think we, we we're getting there on the number of tournaments. Um, yeah. You know, whether that kind of fluctuates between 30 to 34 or, you know, however that is, it's, it's you know, sustaining now a, a schedule, working on the flow of events, uh, which is not easy because trying to schedule events around other sporting events other around the other tours and uh, lots of other um other sorts of uh complications that come up when we're trying to schedule um but you know working on the on the flow of events that makes it easier easier for players um and we still have a little bit of the impact from from covid really when it all got very scattered and we um and we couldn't kind of go to the places when we wanted to but we're getting there but that's one thing is is getting the flow right, um, sustaining the events, and you know the priority now has to be, uh, you know, pulling pushing up those prize funds. Yeah, definitely, and we've got some really exciting events this year. We have the Aramco Team Series events again. We got uh, the British Open at um, Walton Heath this year. So yeah. you must just be really excited, right? Yeah, um, I think it'd be it'd be great to have the uh, the women's open at um, Walton Heath. Uh, mm. You know, the London area always attracts enormous crowds, and um, you know, and it's a great venue. So I think it will be it will be a special 
a special week, a great tournament, um, you know, and obviously it's a very significant tournament as a, as a major. Um, yeah, and, you know, with the Aramco Team Series, uh, the event at, um, at La Sella, uh, being at a million, um, yeah. you know, there, there, there is some really interesting stops at some great venues. We, we're very lucky at uh, the venues that we get to, that we get to play. Um, so I think we're, we're, we're um, yeah, there, there's some kind of significant highlights in there that I, I think that, you know, both the, the tour and the team and the players, but also the fans can kind of really, really get engaged with. Yeah, definitely. Well, I can't wait. I'm going to I'm going to hit you with this old age question now. You've probably been asked it a million times, but where would you like to see the LET be in, in five years and in maybe 10 years? What's what's the goal? Oh, yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't matter how often <laughs> I get that question. It's always a very tough question. Yeah, um, because, you know, I mean, I think I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm ambitiously like in the next five years is driving up that minimum prize fund. So, you know, this year we went from 200,000 to 300,000 minimum prize fund on, on the schedule. I think we have to get to a stage where our smallest event is, is 500,000 prize fund. Yeah. So hopefully that can happen in the next, you know, three to five year cycle. Getting in more um, sponsors, um, driving our television so we get more uh, broadcasts, so more distribution around the world, um, but also drive those revenues uh, into the tour so the more revenues that we can generate it all goes back into the game um yeah into the tournaments into the player services so you know i i think it's it's kind of more of what we're doing um but hopefully quickly <laughs> right, i'm gonna hit you with some uh rapid fire questions now as well alex all right so okay. the fans the fans can sort of get to know you a bit better <laughs> It's just sort of a list of favorites. So if I'll go through and, and see what best you do. Well, actually, the first one aren't really rapid fire if you go into a bit of detail, but favorite memory as a player? Oh, the camaraderie. Um, I think it's, um, yeah, it's a family and and everybody has their own back and you kind of have your friends that you that you travel with. Um, it's a, it's a, um, it's a tough job and it's a lonely job out there and, mm. and being able to, to have that support and, you know, go back to the hotel and always end up with some sort of a joke or a giggle because there, there is, as you can imagine on the road, there's plenty of funny times. So, um, I think the, the kind of favorite memory, um, would be kind of that, that community feel that there is to, to playing on the tour. Just in general, yeah. Have you got like a specific yeah. memory from tour? A specific memory from tour? I don't know. This, I mean, it's a long, long time ago when I played. Yeah, there's, uh, yeah, there's a lot, but it's, um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be able to. It's, it's just that it's a bunch of kind of small memories. I mean, I think, you know, three, three players with golf clubs, and every player that listened to this will, will identify with that. Is, you know, our our technique at packing cars is pretty unique and it's pretty special. I mean, we can get three big suitcases and three golf bags into a small car. Um, so we, we are very talented at that. I think we all have a future um, in, in removals if, yeah. if, we, if we want to find an alternative because we definitely know how to, how to take advantage of every little space in a car. Yeah, definitely. Okay, on that, favorite favorite memory as CEO, so from the business point of view. Um, 
every tournament. Yeah. <laughs> every time you sign a new tournament, it's special. And over the years, I mean, I think, you know, the first time we went to Dubai, uh, it was a, a while back, but that was a 500,000 year event, which was one of the biggest events of the time and going to new territory. Um, going to China for the first time, you know, working in India and seeing that development of that event, um, but also the impact that it's had on on participation in, in India and how many members we have on tour now. Um, so, yeah, I, I think kind of probably every time we get a, a new tournament on board. A new place. Mm, That's yeah. great. And have you got a favourite event ever in sort of your tenure? Oh, wow. I can't really say, can I? You're not allowed. <laughs> you get in trouble. Yeah, no, I can't kind of, not any of that kind of, I mean, you know, Solheim Cup is, is, is uniquely special as an experience. Um, but that is, that is unique. Um, but no, I, I, yeah, not any other that kind of stands out. Well, I was going to ask favourite win, but yeah. I guess all of them as well. But 2021 Solheim Cup win uh, must have been pretty special, huh? That was incredible. Yeah, I mean, I think I remember the also 2011 Sohan Cup win by Europe yeah. and where they were down um, and with four players still on the quarter and there was a rain delay and we were just kind of all in, you know, in the kind of our LET unit just there with our guests and and suddenly it kind of turned around and we're like, oh my goodness, Europe's going to win this and kind of running to get to that final part. And, you know, uh, 2021 was, was kind of similar in a way that it was so competitive and down to the wire and so many matches came down 18. Um, it is, it's just, you know, it is so fought out that event and the quality of both teams is incredible um, that it never disappoints. Uh, yeah, I think when we spoke to Suzanne a couple of weeks ago about 2011, she said that that rain delay just turned into one big pep talk, basically, <laughs> which was yeah, sort, of, and, sort of worked mm -hmm. in our favour, yeah, which is great. No, looking forward to this year uh, very much. Uh, favourite course, Alex? Yeah. One of my favourite courses is Sunningdale Old. I yeah. always, I love that course. Um, so I would say that one and Soto Grande in Spain. Okay, very nice. Yeah, I love Sunningdale. I love the clubhouse as well. It just has that proper yeah. golf club feel, doesn't mm -hmm. it? Um, and when it's kind of all the heath is out, it's just stunning. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've only played the uh, the new. I need to play the old. It's it's on my bucket list. Yeah, it is pretty special. Yeah, I would recommend it. Favorite things to do outside of golf? Um, hiking. I guess. Funny enough, I guess it's kind of a um a variation of my golfing days, but without having to chase a golf ball around, which makes it slightly more pleasurable. I guess. Yeah. Um. So I enjoy I enjoy walking and hiking and um yeah. That's uh that would be probably when I find time what I would like to do more. Nice. And final one, favorite sports person of all time. Oh wow. Favorite sports person of all time. And this is a quick fire question. Um, I know. I'm not very quick at it. <laughs> this is not very quick, is it? Um <laughs> I would say Roger Federer. Oh nice. I see I always say Nadal, so now we're we're sort of Heads on yeah, this one. I know. <laughs> don't, don't, don't tell Nadal though, because being Spanish, oh, you're Spanish as well. Very popular. Yeah. This is terrible. No, because Federer was there before, and yeah, you know, I have obviously I I like Federer. I mean, I like Nadal a lot, and I think he's an amazing athlete, and he's a great role model. Um, but yeah, I guess from probably more closer to my era, I would say Federer. Nice. Yeah, mm -hmm. oozes class. Right. Final yeah. one. 
if you've listened to the pod, which I hope you have been listening, Alex, I trust you've been listening. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, sure, I have. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. So we always do end it on a little quiz. So I've, I've, I've been cheeky. I've snuck in the the quick fire and the quiz, but you're on good form. So let's keep you here with the quiz, right? So we've got five okay. questions here, sort of LET testing your LET history. Now I haven't made them that easy, oh, wow. but you are our CEO, so I think you know who would I be as a podcast host if I didn't make them quite challenging for you right so okay well hopefully uh any listener has switched off by now <laughs> i won't uh yeah we'll have to listen to okay to my okay. embarrassing moments yeah 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 all right first question can you name the youngest winner on tour and the oldest winner on tour i yes i think i isn't the youngest a dietitica was the youngest wasn't she correct yeah, yeah. just Four... just about yeah mm-hmm. just yet yeah. she was 14 at the thailand championship um yeah. can you name the oldest uh is it Laura? Dame Laura Davis? No, Laura's second oldest at 47. There's someone that's older. 2014, that's your that's your clue. Uh, I wasn't working with the LET at the I time. I know, I'm sort of... Um, is it... Um, hmm, Trish? No. Yeah, Trish, yeah, yeah. Trish, Trish? 40, okay. 48. Um, I just didn't want to age anyone either. So no, no. Like, I'm trying to do the math in my head if someone <laughs> could be at that age at that time. Oh, yeah. Trish Johnson. All right, good. And that was the, the Scottish <laughs> Open. Um, this one you've already mentioned, uh, that's your, your hint. But who has the biggest winning margin on the LET? Biggest winning, I've already mentioned her. So is it Lynn Grant? No, no. You mentioned her. You mentioned her. you mentioned her in the, last, in the last question. Oh, Laura, yeah? Yes, yes. Okay, so was, wow. All right. Laura won the... Sorry, Laura. The, <laughs> she won the Irish <laughs> Open by 16 shots in 1995. Oh, okay. Which is All right. pretty impressive. Okay, I will. I will ha- register that now, and I will know for the future. Yeah, right. These ones are a bit more about you. So you played between two thousand and one and two thousand and five. Um, in that time, there were obviously five Order of Merit winners. Can you name any of them? Now I'm getting confused with my time as CEO because that's kind of like I've seen. I've seen a few. Um, Raquel Carriedo. Yes, she was the first one. Yeah. And I think Paula Marti won. Yes, number two. Um, was did Suzanne win? Suzanne Peterson? No, not no. not not in that not in that five year stretch. Okay, well I've given you two. Obviously. You've given you two, which I'll which I'll take. <laughs> there was then there was uh, Laura two thousand and three, um, Sophie Gustafsson two thousand and four, and Ibn Tinning in two thousand and five. All right, Eben was the first one I was going to say, but that was because my that's I remember it, but it was my first year also as CEO, so I wasn't yeah. sure. Yeah, that's that okay. was the first one that came to mind was Eben Tinning, yeah. Well, she was mm-hmm. earlier, sorry, than, than Gustafsson, I think, but yeah, there's a five, so you got two. Uh, okay, pretty... all right. And then that's the okay. last two questions are about your current tenure, so I hope you get this one. So when you returned in 2020, who won the first event under your, your tenure as CEO? The first event was the Women's Scottish Open. No, no, the first event of the season, of the schedule. Of the, Oh, of course, no, because we had got tournaments at the beginning of the year. Mm. Yeah, so it was Steph Kiriakou, yes. wasn't it? Yes, very good. Yes. Very good. I was kind of thinking post-COVID, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then the final one should be fairly easy. Who has won the most events uh, during your since 2020, since you took over? Who's won the most events? Who's won the most events? Is it Maya Stark? Yes. Yes, Maya Stark. She edges her, yeah, she's had six wins, so. 
Very good. No, I'm impressed. That was a good, good, sh- good oh, showing in the quiz. Oh, not too bad. I didn't embarrass I make, myself completely. No, I make them difficult, and I've been I've been called out for it. But I thought Alex is on. She's the CEO. Like I can't I can't make this easy for her. So it was a uh, <laughs> <Fair laughs> it was enough. solid. Well, I, I, well, I didn't I didn't make complete fool of myself. So that's okay then. No, mm. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So yeah, that's everything. Right. It's been it's been great chatting to you, Alex. Uh, really enjoyed it. Hopefully, it gave our fans sort of a chance to to get to know you better on a on a personal level. So yeah, we're it's been great. Thanks for joining us on the LET podcast. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. No problem. We look forward to the to the rest of the season. Yeah, we'll see you out there. Thanks, Bye-bye. George. So there we have it. Alex Armas breaking her journey down on the LET and revealing what the future holds as the tournament continues to grow from strength to strength. Really fun chat there, and a pretty good showing on the quiz as well from Alex. As mentioned earlier in the show, sadly, we do have a little break in the schedule now, with the next event taking place in May at the Jabra Ladies Open. But to fill the time, we'll be bringing you tons of guests here on the LET Golf Podcast between now and then. And if there is anyone you'd desperately like to have on the show, please drop us a follow and a message on socials at LET Golf, and we'll do our best to get them on. In the meantime, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the pod. If you did, please leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Music, or whichever platform you're streaming from. And we'll see you next week where we'll have arguably the LET's most informed player joining the pod. It's one you really don't want to miss. Thanks for joining, guys, and we'll see you next week. It's a competition clinching shot. The LET Golf Podcast, the official podcast of the Ladies European Tour.